You're listening to the Comic Crusaders Podcast. I am your host, Al Mega, CEO of Comic Crusaders and Undercover Capes. In this show, I'm sitting down with creators from all walks of life to talk about inspiration, process, the lessons they've learned, and a whole lot more. Weepa! What up, everybody? It's your boy, Al Mega. Welcome to a brand new Comic Crusaders podcast. And today, today's gonna be fun because we're doing some music stuff. Oh, my God. Today, we're talking with a legend, a journeyman that has performed with over 50 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees, has appeared in 12 Broadway shows. He's been inducted to the Blues Hall of Fame. I mean... He's a bass player, a music director to the stars, and now author. You may know him as Funk Boy. Let me introduce the legend, the journeyman, the one and only Ivan Bali. What up, kiddo? How you doing? Hey, man. How are you? Good to see you. Man, I, I'm happy to have you on, brother. You know, I'm fired up to talk to, to someone that's had the journey you've had as a music <laughs> fan. I'm, like, floored by your your whole experience and I want people to know because right now you got a new book out too. You know what I mean? That 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 you got out there. It's called Am I Famous Yet? Memoir of a Working Class Rock Star. I mean, what a question. Are you? I mean, damn, you got a long journey. How are you not famous yet? <laughs> That's what it feels like, you know. It's like I do rock starish kind of things kind of for my day job, you know, and then uh but I don't get recognized at the at the grocery store. So I don't think I'm famous yet, but uh I'm in the, I'm in the game, you know what I'm saying? So long as you're in the game, bro, you still in play. That's what matters, <laughs> my brother. So, yo, everybody, yo, yo, get, you know, he, he's, he's an amazing musician over here. And I has, of course, that, that great book that I just told you guys uh, about, right? It's available on Amazon and stuff like that. Amazon Worldwide. Amazon.com. There you go. There you go. Yo. And, and there are possibly a test for you to get an autograph, but he doesn't want to go to the post office. Don't bother him like that right now. Come on. <laughs> I'll do, it, I'll do it for my special friends if they go to my website. I can give them, can give them the autograph copies. But that's there you go. Friends. There you go. There you go. So, Funk Boy, tell us, tell us about yourself. Where are you from? Yes, sir. Grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Population 125,000. Hey. Uh, ventured forth into the world. My first stop was New Orleans, Louisiana, where I went to went to college down there, and then got into the music business on the Wait, business so- side. Go ahead. You didn't. You didn't get out of uh, out of your hometown until you were in your late teens, college bound. Seventeen years old, college bound. That was but the first time I really. Yeah, bound. first time okay. I left home. Exactly right. Okay, gotcha. And, and, but 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 in your music journey, this is what I want to know there though, right? So you're growing up yeah. in Tennessee. Yeah. I mean, what were your early influences and, and kind of who? I always like to know this. Kind of who was putting you on to the stuff. Dig. All right. So here's here's the thing. There's a couple of sources it came from. One, my mother had a very hip record collection, man. She was very heavily into Gladys Knight and the Pips, Stevie oh. Wonder. She oh. also had like uh, Ike and Turner live at, Ike and Tina live at Carnegie Hall. Um, they were. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I grew up listening to these albums. I was very aware of like who King Floyd was and, you know, these sort of like uh, Southern soul stars. She also was into, you know, 
the Beatles and show tunes. She had some great show tune albums, and you know, she liked she liked greatest hits albums because she knew every song was going to be good on the greatest <laughs> hits album. You know. Yeah, I agree. Back in the day as a kid, me too. I'm like, okay, when <laughs> a Christmas list, I would put some cool albums, but always the greatest hits because you know greatest what, I, I want all the good ones. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you got to know every song is good. If you're going to shell out the money for a full LP vinyl, you know, back in those days, right? Oh yeah, they were expensive then, and now even yeah. three times the value now. God damn. <laughs> So, I mean, that set me on the path. I really didn't start playing music until I was a senior in high school. So I was already like a fan and a record collector way okay. before that, you know, and got right, into so, the playing much nice. later. So, so, uh, so how did you get into playing? Did you find a tribe with, within your town of, of fellow, your music lovers? Or, or I were mean, you kind of by yourself? Kind of, yeah. I was kind of on my own in a way, you know, because oh, a lot of music practicing is a solitary thing. Like, you've got to be by yourself in your room working on your instrument, trying to figure out, you know, how to make it work. So you wanted to play from the get. You weren't just a listener. Like, I need, I want to play, too. I want, I need to be involved from early Some, on. Yeah, somehow I knew I kind of wanted to be in there. But I dabbled with a bunch of instruments that never really took, like when I was a kid. <laughs> what guitar, was the first one you tried? Uh, viola. Oh, really? <laughs> viola. Didn't take. Didn't Why? Take. Why was that the first choice? I, you know, I, it was elementary school. That's the the school band they had. That's the oh, instrument okay. they had available. It's like, you want to play viola? I'm like, yeah, I'll try some music. Was that like, really the only the only one available? I, I guess so. I can't imagine. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Certainly didn't pick it on my own. You know. <laughs> and then I, after that, I, that didn't work out. And it was certainly after I, I took like guitar lessons. I wanted to play sort okay. of, you know, acoustic guitar and that lasted okay. about Okay. So a you week. took the lessons. Okay. So you're taking the lessons here. Uh, was Trying. Your, was your family, you know, um, you know, motivating you or was it something uh. you did on your own? <laughs> yeah. No, that was, that was all me. Like they're, oh, you. they're not musical people. So how were you uh, paying for the lessons? Well, I guess, I mean, the parents must have been helping out, you know, at some point, uh, and cause the, the guitar thing didn't really work, really work out. So then I switched to piano and I'm okay. trying to take piano lessons and that does not go on anywhere either. I'm like, I forget it. And I just kind of put it down for a long time and said, I'm a fan. I'm a listener. I like to listen, you know, and then sort of through my high school years, I'm not playing anything at all. And I'm seeing things like, I remember seeing Rick James live on television. Playing the song You and I. This four note bass line goes down, uh, 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 down, down, down. Oh, down, yes. yes. Down, hey, uh, hey, I'm like, yes. hey, wait, wait, wait. What is that? Uh, I think I can do that. Like, I, it's, four, it's four notes. It's four notes. Like, I, you know, and there was a guy, a kid at school, <laughs> a friend of mine, who had a bass that had only two strings on it. Two of the strings were broken. <laughs> really? Oh, damn. <laughs> so, so it only had the two lowest strings on it. And, but that was enough to play that Rick James bass line. So I picked it out by ear. I'm like, I can, I could, I could, envision myself doing it so for that like i remember for my 17th birthday my dad said what do you want for your birthday i said bass lessons that's what i want <laughs> bass lessons I, I, did you say with that very same smile bro <laughs> bass lessons yeah yeah and it, so a friend of mine my buddy rick who i'm friends with to this day uh he, he gave me a lesson for 15 dollars 15 dollars an hour that was my bass lesson you know so, wow 15 an hour and what year, what year are we talking about? I don't 19, want to age you too much. Oh, you don't, you believe me. My life is an open book, literally, since <laughs> I've written one. That was 1981. It was 40 okay. years ago this year. Oh, wow. And, uh, I'd saved up money that summer. I washed dishes at a dude ranch in Colorado. I was a dishwasher for three meals a day for a hundred people. And I saved $425 and I bought a used <laughs> fender bass from my pal Rick. 
And that's what I was taking my lessons on. And I still have that base to this day. And Beautiful. it paid for this house that you see behind me. Sway word, really. I mean, that it took 40 years, but yeah, but yeah, that was but the you, result. But, but, but you did it, man. So, okay. Yeah. So, um, you, you, when was the first time you decided to kind of, all right, you know, I'm learning how to play bass. When did you find uh, your, 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 your crew that it, or, or, or even got involved and took a step in like, yo, is someone's hiring? How did you even get at, you know, started your journey into in it? Right, right. Well, immediately, like, you know, I'm, I'm at a high school and, you know, you find the five other kids who also one plays guitar, one plays drums, like, let's do a band for the talent okay. show kind of thing, right? But how did you find that? Was, was it a coincidence or did you see them play? I mean, how did this all happen? I love it's, knowing the art, you know, that webbing. Yeah. <laughs> No, it, I mean, it was a very small school. It was like 100 kids in my class. So and we knew who everybody was. You know, I knew the guy who was a guitar player. I knew the guy okay. who was the drummer. You know, like he was all That's small school. of a town. You said the whole yeah. shit is 125K. So I could, your town was like, what, 50 people? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the class. <laughs> yeah, the, the school was tiny. But, you know, but the, I mean, the town was big. I didn't, re- yeah, I never really played with any people outside of my high school. You okay. know, but then when I got to New Orleans, that's when I started to get out into the, like, you know, the community more. So when and did you hit New Orleans, you said? That was college. So that was, you know, so the, this, I moved there. At the 17, 18. 17 years old, sight okay. unseen. All I knew was I needed to be in a bigger town than the one I grew up in. I knew Wonderful. that I needed to be in a more cosmopolitan environment because my mother's family's from New York City. So we would visit every year oh, or so when bro, I was a kid growing I get up. It, right? man. Yeah, yeah. Once so you're I, in New York, you know, your soul is going to be much bigger than whatever right. little tiny town you're in. <laughs> exactly. And there's safety in numbers, you know. So I was a kind of a freaky little kid in Tennessee, you know, <laughs> in you the 70s. You everybody, bro. <laughs> yeah, you know, like they, I didn't fit in. They knew I didn't fit in. I knew I didn't fit in. That's cool. You know, no, no problem. But when you come to New York City and you're you were like, the rebel, bro. No, I want to notice it because that's kind of how I felt, you know, because like, you see how you have these headphones. You, all right, this is my yeah. junior high school life. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Junior yeah. high school with headphones, and when I put this shit down like this, all you would hear is the loudest hip hop or the <laughs> loudest house music or the loudest heavy metal you heard in your life. But and right people now, are like, what is this dude listening? To? When the cans are on, that means you're not available to talk, right? Like yeah, you're man. in your you're in your work, you know. I'm you're listening. To you. You're on your groove right now, right? Yeah, yes. yo. I, you know, that was my back in the day, my New York trip. Those headphones. Right. That, that's my life, music. <laughs> that's why I appreciate yeah. people like you because I can't wait till people start hearing who you work with. So let's yeah, talk yeah. about you getting even acclimated. So t- talk that. <laughs> Getting acclimated, well, just starting out, you know, so like when I moved to New Orleans, right, that's when I started working at the college radio station. So I'm getting into the record collecting, I'm getting into the vinyl, I'm getting into like being aware of what concert promotion is. I'm going to see a lot of live shows. I'm still playing, but, you know, I'm, I'm in school for not music. I'm in school for like engineering and psychology and that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I know but, because you have a VA in sight. Everybody, <laughs> I mean, this man is very smart, too, but he ain't just a musician, you know. But I had to go back to music school later, you know, once because I got to it late because I started. I didn't start till I was 17. So by the time I go to college, I'm in no position to say, oh, I want to be a musician full time. I just started playing, you know. So once I started doing that, you know, then I started to, like, you know, get some semi-professional gigs in and around New Orleans, you know, from my contacts through the radio station and the concert promotion. So I ended up playing like the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. Oh, the big wow. nightclubs in town, like Tipitinas and stuff like that. And that was, but how did like, you land that? How, how did you pursue those opportunities? It's one foot in front of the other. You know, like you know, the first band I was in, I think was, a, was a band of uh, other students from the, the school that I was going to. I'm sure there was something on the bulletin board. 
You know what I mean? Like it's people, that, <laughs> everybody that who you know. And then like uh, I, the the biggest thing, biggest quote unquote, you know, name gig that I did uh, in New Orleans, I got to back up Bo Diddley, the rock and roll pioneer. Get the when he F came through out town. Of here. Because you in those days, Bo yeah, three times, three times I got to play with three him. Three times. He would come to band, to just to town for a concert with just a guitar, and he would use a pickup band in the in those days. He would a, use pickup a pickup band. band. Yeah, yeah. Really? Wow. You know, so the only thing you need to know about, here's the, re here was the rehearsal. I can explain you the rehearsal. You gotta know this beat. Dunk, 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 dunk. That's the Bo Diddley beat, right? Once you know that beat, he plays okay. with an open tuning on his guitar. So if he strums his guitar with no hands on it, it's an open E chord. Okay. Right? If he strums his guitar, if he puts a capo on the third fret, it's a G chord. If he puts a capo on the fifth fret, it's an A chord. End of rehearsal. It's one beat, one chord per song. Where he's got the cable, and that you're done. And now he played a 90-minute show. It was the most exciting, fun, exciting, easy yeah. money, and he had amazing. a blast. Amazing, amazing. I mean, one chord per song, wow. one chord, no chord changes. Wow. Really, that's it. That's it. That's all you did there. Boom, boom. Yeah, boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. shit! I love it. He, I he love it. A, he was a great performer. He was a showman. You know, he was a showman. He was about show business. He knew oh how to entertain God, people. Bro. So you like you hear this, folks? He played like that legend that 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 started the game, son. I mean, I listen. You know, I I, I need to. I don't want to get in my broom and dustpan, but just start telling us <laughs> just a little bit. What what was some of the favorite as you were rising up in your journey? How did you keep connecting, and then how did you even start working with the amazing bands you work with? Right. Okay. So after I. Graduated college, I went into the music business on the business side as a publicity person, you know, so I was working for Epic so I, Records. Okay. How did you get that Epic Records job? That was because of the, that came from the campus radio station I was on because I was talking okay. to the, the national reps for the station because they're promoting their records. I'm playing their records. You get to know the people. And I graduated. I moved to New York and I'm looking for a job and I'm knocking on doors. Hey, can I work for you? Can I come make coffee? Can I make copies? <laughs> what do you need? Right. Back in the day before Instagram and <laughs> resumes and LinkedIn and all that stuff. Right? Be way before. <laughs> LinkedIn, you had to show up and you had to know somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody, you know, and I knew somebody, you know, from my college radio days. Awesome. And, and there was an office assistant, a guy literally making copies in the publicity department. And I said, I can answer phones and I can make copies and I'll do that. So I got that and I started, to, you know, I got promoted within that company and I became a, a manager of West Coast publicity. I had a corporate Ooh. Amex card. I was like a little junior executive, the whole thing. Weppa. Right. Nice. But it, but it's, it's the music business. It's a marketing company. You know, what yes, they're doing is. is they're selling product. You know, yes. it had nothing to do with the day. Yes. Yes. It had nothing to do with music promotion. With music a creation. Brand, whether, whether it's the, someone's brand or music, 100%. whatever it is, it's a product. A hundred percent. And the, the head of product development told me, he said, he said, he said to me, to my face, that I don't know anything about music. I could be selling soap. What he knew was marketing. So he yep. created Gloria Estefan, Ooh. you know, as, as a brand, like he, he promoted these huge artists. He created Michael Jackson. He created, you know, uh, Tina Marie, like these huge campaigns for these Crazy. platinum selling artists. He was the guy behind all that stuff. And I said, that's great, but that's not what I want to do. I want to, I want to create. I want to play. So I quit my job, turned in my Amex card. What? Turned I'm in quite... my, go ahead. How long were you working <laughs> with him before you quit? That's crazy. Three years. Three years I was there. So after three years, you said yeah. enough is enough. I really want to get, you know what? That's really brave, especially in that it era. It was hard. It was hard. It was in hard. that era, yeah, bro. You're giving up an expense account. 
You're giving up health insurance. You're giving up financial stability, you know, a guaranteed Bro. income. Bro. And, and, and what this I realized. Before, folks, I want you guys to understand. This is pre-internet days. Like, <laughs> like he's going to quit. And there's, like, no other way for him to really outsource himself, you know, in a very public way like we can now. Right. This is 1989, bro. Holy I shit. Quit. I walked oh, away damn, from the you know? Wow. And, I, and what I came to was a realization. It's like, there's only one thing I really want to do, which was play music. And it was, it was kind of like, oh, man. Just, <laughs> like, it was kind of a sad thing because uh, I realized, like, there's no guarantee of success. It's a very difficult career to get into. There's a lot of people who want to get there and there are very yeah. few opportunities. So there's no guarantees of anything. Uh, but I, I, I decided I had to give it a try. So once I came to that realization, it was kind of an awful realization. I said, all right, now I need to go fill in the gaps because I've been taking, you know, bass lessons and I've been learning by ear all this time, but now I really need to go to music school to figure out, to fill in the well, gaps of what so I need to how do. How old were you when you went to music school? 26. Oh wow! So let's see. That's much. Late. See, folks, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Rodney Dangerfield made it when he was in his forties. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, you that's know, right. and you know what though? Even at twenty-six, while you know you may deem it old, it's not really old. But for music, it may be old. <laughs> it's you old. Know? It's old. You're past your pop star days. And a shout out to ASAP Comics, and he goes, "That's awesome. Walk your own path." Right. Yeah, you know, cool. there, Thanks, man. Thanks. That's cool. So I, I went to school, you know, and hoping for the best. And then I came back to New York City and started from square one. Started over. And I'm, and so I'm how did you know to go to New York City, though? What was I, it about it? I always dug it here. You know, this is sort of this town was always felt like my tempo. You know, when growing up, when I would come visit here, when I would walk down St. Mark's Place. Oh, yes. You know what I'm saying? You see all I the know. freaks, all the punks. Oh, bro, and you could get the cool gear there. Yo, the That's Ellis right. t-shirts, the Ellis wristbands, the wristband, spikes, right, right. tattoos, exactly. comic books. I mean, that one block, pizza, <laughs> right. right, whatever you want, that one block had it all. I was ready to move to the city based on that one block. Like, yeah, I could live here on St. Mark's and I'm cool. I fit in. I fit in. Like in Chattanooga, not so much, but in St. Mark's place, I'm just another face in the crowd. Like brother, I was there every other weekend yes. buying gear. Yes. I know you. I understand yes. you. My brother was going there religiously to that shop, the heavy metal shop there with yeah. all the clothes. Yeah, and of course. I think the the, the owner or, or at least the lead salesman died a couple of years ago. Yeah, trash in vaudeville. Yeah, trash and vaudeville. Yeah, yes. yes. And the gentleman yes. passed away. Yes. Yo, my brother cried like that was family. I know, I know. I know. You no, understand. Of course. No, he was yeah. a pillar of the community, man. He yeah, knew man. everybody. He put everybody together. He, did, yes, he dressed he, did. he dressed Blondie. He dressed Iggy Pop. He dressed everybody. You yeah, know? yeah. Was, Wasn't amazing. that crazy? I mean, and, th- and this is one small neighborhood in New York, folks. And yeah. this, you, people don't understand unless they live there. <laughs> and I, I'm so happy you brought that up because I yeah. had the honor of being there. I call it an yeah. honor because, yeah. you know, you know how many famous people walk that fucking sidewalk? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. And I would buy like the little skinny satin ties and all the new wave gear. And oh the, yeah, and the wristbands. All you, that. Still yeah, got you still of got them? Of them? course, of course, <laughs> of course. I got all that stuff. You know, so like I knew that New York was kind of where I wanted to be. Like the music that I liked was coming from here. The uh, the tempo of the city I liked. The St. Mark's I liked. I liked the pizza. You know, I brought my 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 first uh, motorcycle jacket on jacket on St. Mark's place. You know, <laughs> years Very ago. Nice, nice. Uh, and, and I had a plan. I had a plan. I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to play on the David Letterman show. I'm going to play on the Jay Leno show. 
I'm going to play on Saturday Night Live, and I'm going to work at Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. And after a 30-year career, you know how many of those things have happened? Zero. Not one. Oh, not one. shit. Stop lying, bro. Not one of those things happen. Like, you have all these plans and dreams and goals and aspirations, but then other things happen. You know, like, I played arenas, just not Madison Square Garden. I played Carnegie Hall. You know, I've done late-night TV shows, just not Letterman, you know, before he retired. So, It's all right. You know what? Now you can either get Kimmel or Fallon. (laughs) Right, right. And and you know what? Because, listen, after they read this, I know Fallon. Yo, come on. Folks, help me out here. (laughs) You know Jimmy Fallon is a music fan. I he think is. he's going to love this and, and, and put you on because when people start learning about just your journey, bro, again, yeah. you've worked with amazing people. Now, you know, you said something funny. It's like, well, it wasn't too long. It don't matter. <laughs> it don't well, matter. So, the yeah, fact but, that you work with the Temptations, Percy Sledge, Eddie yeah. Floyd, Rufus and Carla Thomas, you know, like you said, what's the point, Dexter? Uptown Halls, Paul Rogers, who I know the judge. I mean, what fucking, what a different, like, randomness of circles here, yeah. but you've been around. And the, when the Shirelles, I've been working with the Shirelles on and Shirelles, off. Almost, oh, my God. Almost, yeah, but bro. almost 30 years I know them. So, like, some of them I How I did been, you even meet them? You know, everything is is some weird coincidence. Always uh-huh. one foot in front of the other. Okay. So so check Be- this out. Wait, before you continue, I Go just ahead. want to bring this. Go ahead. This comes from the comic book world. The great Tim Steranko, amazing yeah. artist. He says, people of like mind will always connect. And I call uh, that psychomagnetism. Yes, yes, yes. That's what that is. Exactly related to what I'm saying. Because it's like, you know, one foot in front of the other. This person knows that person. So when I got back to New York, I'm, I'm, I'm a temp secretary. And I'm typing resumes. For the There's people that the phone, fucking hear this? <laughs> no, check this out. I'm typing resumes for the people that the phone company are laying off. That's the oh job my I God. have. And I did that temp job for three You're years. You were the fucking blue letter man, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It was a, That's what nice. a karma job that was. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, and then a friend of mine from New Orleans, this, literally, this is how it happened. Her cousin lived in New York and her cousin was dating the guy who was like the music director of the Shirelles at the time. The Shirelles needed, and they, and that she, I, you know, my friend's cousin told a guy that I just graduated from music school. They needed a bass player to come do a job that was up in Massachusetts. It was going to be a five hours in the van, play a job, and then five hours straight back. It was like a long, long, long production day. They needed somebody who could play at all to cover this thing. So he came to see me. I was playing a, a $50 blues gig at, at the Ear Inn on Spring Street, right? And he had an envelope in his hand. And it was a manila envelope. It had in a, a normal bias cassette tape of the show, of the live show, and copies of the charts. And basically, he was looking at me and thinking, like, if this guy can play at all, he's got the job, right? Ooh. So, and I, I, apparently, I was I could play at all. So he handed me the the uh, the envelope and said, "Here, learn all this stuff. The van leaves next week from 40th and 9th." What? Like That's that? What That's like what that. happened. That's what happened. Now, now. But this is this is the thing, though. There are a lot of times you get an opportunity like that, you know, or something, whatever, something random comes across the doorstep. Right. The trick is, can you get called back for a second one? In other words, do you have the skill sets that they need to do an adequate enough job to prepare yourself? To be a return. Right. Right. Be a return customer. So by that, you know, I had I think I had a week to learn the show and I learned it. 
I spent time on it. So when I got there. You didn't sleep, right? <laughs> no, right, right. I just, you know, I worked on it a couple of hours every single day. So when I got there, you know, they, there was no rehearsal. You just show up and, you know, they count off the first song and you got to know it, you know. So I came in like sight unseen. They'd never seen me before. And I played the show verbatim the way I, I had the charts in front of me and I had the, the cassette that I learned it from. So the drummer in that show saw me do that. And he's like, okay, this guy, he's a, he's a homework guy. Like I like the way he plays, but he also, he knew that I prepared, that I did my homework. So he was also the drummer for another band called the Uptown Horns. Okay. The Uptown Horns are the horn section, just the four of them, on the Rolling Stones, Steel Wheels Tour, B-52's Love Shack, uh, Cameo, Word Up, Tom Waits, Rain Dog. They played with a million people. Say right? word. Heavy, wow. right? He was the drummer in that band. They needed a bass player last minute, right, to do a and job. And they called Funk Boy. They called me. They called me. And it's the same thing. So the same thing. So he, I got. They gave me a normal bias cassette tape, right? They used to get the ninety-nine cent store, you know, five for a dollar, whatever those things were, right? They sounded awful, but it was like, here, learn this material and be ready. You have a week to do it. We did one rehearsal, and then you know, I've been working with them, and that's been since that was ninety-four when I met them. Oh, I've been wow. working with them ever since, and that wow. because that band, because they were so good. Uh, anytime when all these R&B artists would come through New York, they would use that band as a local band. So through them, I met right. Sam Moore from Sam and Dave, Percy Sledge, oh, um, um, Rufus and Carla Thomas, Solomon Burke, and Peebles. Like all those artists would come and use the Uptown Horns band when they came through New wow. York. Wow! So that's but how, how does that even happen, though? Like how, how does a band become the go-to kind of pickup band? Like what well, is this? Right. Well, those guys, the Uptown Horns, started uh, their own jam session at the old nightclub Tramps. So they had a week, like I think it was like a Monday night, they would have an open jam session. So they got known around town. They got publicity. They got write-ups in the paper. So that started, wow. they started playing behind cool. Buster Poindexter, if you remember Buster, right? Hot, yeah, hot, of hot. course. <laughs> they're, they're the horn section on that. So they got this Crazy. reputation. They did all this groundwork. I just came out as the new guy. I'm like, hey, fellas, let me play, you know. So, I got to benefit from their, you know, uh, wow. their career acumen up to that point. So that's how they became, you know, standard band to use in New York through all their hard work. And again, I just happened to come in at the right time and be the, you know, the right guy for the job. Gotcha. So I want to talk about this book, man, you know, because mm. you got this awesome book out, right, that I've been kind of sharing right there, right? The Emerson yeah, Memoir. Yeah, yeah of a working class rock. So let's talk about that a bit, man. When did you start wanting to, uh, you know, go to that, you know, endeavor where you're now a writer right. about your journey? I, it was always part of what I did writing. Uh, when I was working for the record company as a publicist, I was writing some of the artist bios and the press releases and some oh, of the word? liner notes. for some That was yeah. you? Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Some okay. of those things, some of those, not all of them, but you know, when I was there, so like uh, my, my pal Stanley Clark, I wrote the liner notes for one of his albums uh, in the 80s. Um, so it was always and I, I would write occasionally freelance for a magazine or a re- music review or something like that. You know, over the years, you know, occasionally would do the writing. Never, never totally serious. Always like a professional hobby, not as like my full time kind of thing. So, you know, a few years ago, I would, you know, be telling road stories backstage when we we're between soundcheck and a show. And people were constantly telling me like, Dude, you need to write a book. You need to write this stuff down. Yeah, and man. I, well, I mean, you're sitting like, God damn, you better have a book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It's a lot of stories. It's a lot of stories. Now, you know, I just really scratched the surface with it, with this book. But, you know, so I started writing it down probably about four years ago. I got most of it done, you know, and kind of sort of getting it into shape. And then, you know, whatever, a year and a half ago, when the world shut down, suddenly I had time to really finish it, you know, you know, get it copy edited, make sure the whole thing was put together, get it up on Amazon, all that thing. So the, the, it was in part a pandemic project, but it was, it had really been mostly finished before then, but that's kind of what got it finished, you know, God. was having the time, the time on my hands. So let me ask you, so is that how you dealt with that during the pandemic? You just were able to, you know, sit yourself down and write the book? Was this done during the pandemic or was it done prior? Most of it was done prior, but I finished it sort of during the pandemic. So, yeah. So okay. what I what I did was suddenly because, I, you know, I average ooh, five gigs a week. Average. Oh, you know, wow. Like, that's kind of what I do. So I'm usually five running around. Five gigs a week? Plus, yeah. Oh, wait. I want I want people to know this, especially musicians. So especially if somebody with you know a journeyman like this homie right here, like so what's that, you know, hour wise in a week? Oh, you don't want to do the hourly rate. You don't want to do it because I've done it before. I'm like, you know, between the travel and the prep time and the you know and the sound check time and the report time, you know, like if I do it hourly, I am working for less than minimum wage, you know. But oh <laughs> Wow. But if you do it over time, you know, like, uh, it's hard to say, like, what, you know, I'm like, for instance, this week, I am, this week, for instance, I'm learning to to, uh, play the show Jersey Boys, the Broadway show. It's actually running off Broadway right now. How did you get on Broadway, too, man? That's another (laughs) thing. Because, hey, yo, bro, people, again, listen to this guy's journey. A A boy from Chattanooga, Tennessee. He decided to get out of town at 17 and uh, has had this amazing journey in music, playing with legendary people. And now he's also, you know, not just an author, but, you know, a Broadway person. Well, well, how's that? How did you even do that? That's, that was a whole other story. That kind of came to find me in a way. Like I'd been in New York working for oh, 15, 20 years almost, really, playing professionally, playing all these R&B gigs we were just talking about you know, with the Uptown Horns and all those guys, and also playing weddings, funerals, and bar mitzvahs to pay the rent, you know, like, I'm, I'm working. Funerals, that's depressing. God damn yeah. it. <laughs> a gig is a gig. That's what we yeah, say, right? a check is a check, bro. So long as that dude, that dude's signature can still get through, I'm good. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So I'm playing at the Bitter End one Monday night, and I'm playing in the house band of a jam session band. It was like an open mic. People could come in and sing with the band kind of thing. And when I got off the stage on a break, there was another bass player coming. A friend of mine who I just met, I just met this guy, a cat named Winston Roy, a good guy, was at the bar. And he, and he said, uh, hey, man, would you ever be interested in subbing on a Broadway show? I'm like, what What do you mean? Like, he he was the bass player in the Broadway show Rock of Ages. Oh, was, shit. What? Yeah, that was his gig. That was his gig. And, you know, the way those. those and he randomly just spoke to you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow, well, I'd, I I'd met him once before, so I knew we knew each other, you know, by sight. We'd met before, but that was the first time he'd seen me play, right? Oh, so wow. Rock of you Ages pressed the shit out of him, kid. Well, it was like Rock of Ages is like an '80s hair metal. Yeah, musical, bro. Right? I, was, bro oh, let me just remove my hat for a moment. <laughs> I mean, bro. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Look at this mess right here, right, right. bro. I, you know, I'm not, it's not as pretty as yours with that Fabio look, but you know. 
But the music for that show is all like White Snake and Poison and Twisted Sister and Pat Benatar, that kind of thing, you know. It's, yeah, it's oh, a man. Broadway show. Good shit, yeah. But using, so he asked me, like, what I'm interested in doing it. And that show, the, the musicians are all on stage. The entire book is memorized. We're in costume. We're in makeup. We have stage business to do as well as having to memorize the whole show. Uh, and it just, it appealed to me. Like, it sounded like a real challenge to learn that thing. And then once you're in the Broadway thing, just playing any Broadway show, then suddenly then you meet the other guys and the other shows. And one by one, you, you know, you start subbing on this show, subbing on that show. So yeah, now awesome. a dozen years has become a dozen shows. So, uh, and I'm learning a new one. I'm learning Jersey boys right now. I'm subbing on Ancient hey. Crowd, the, the oh, temptations wow. musical. I'm subbing on that one. And uh, how do you feel though? Did you expect this in your journey to kind of do things like this? Not really. Cause I told you my plan, my four point plan, right? Right? None of those things happen. So Don't like, you love it? People yeah. make a plan, no matter what, it will not happen. It will be something totally fucking different, totally but it will still different. be in the lane that you want. Totally different, but there's no way to anticipate. But know, it's like, still in the lane you wanted, though. Of That's course, the funny of course. Part, you no, know? being a performing musician, that was definitely the goal, you know. But yeah, man. I had no way of knowing what was going to lead to what, because then the Shirelles led to the tokens, which led to the drifters, which led to, <laughs> wow. you know, all that, Jesus which led to God. the uptown horns, you know. So. You just, you, there's, but there's no way to predict that. You know, there's no way to plan for that. So, so let me ask you though, as you're writing the book, did, did you know how to kind of like write a book or is this something you had to kind of learn how to do? I mean, kind of, like I said, I, I'd written quite a bit before, but, but, but shorter pieces, you know, like a, a liner notes or a biography is like a couple of pages at a time. So yeah. oh, Wikipedia is one thing, but a fucking a hundred and something plus book, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a different endeavor. So I started just writing stories, like individual stories, okay. you know, and, and, and then as I'm just telling, how did story, you write them though? Though I mean, was this were you writing them as they were happening? Had a journal, or is this something you sat down and kind of were reflecting on your memory? Yeah, uh, my memory is very weird and selective. Like I, I, you know, I claim that I don't remember anything, but when you say you're something. a rock star, bro. I, I, I won't go any further than that. <laughs> but here, but here's, here's what I'm saying. Like, here's how my mind works. So I'm looking at your hat right now, and it's got yellow and black stripes on it in the logo yeah. on your hat, yeah. right? Yeah, my comic so, crew, baby. Right. So that reminds me of a band that I saw in 1984 called Striper, right? Right, buddy. And they were a Christian rock band that wore yellow and black stripes. Now, there's no possible way that I would, you know, if somebody said, you know, how many Christian rock bands have you seen? I'd be like, none. But because because I have this this association, like, so I see something like your stripes in your hat, and that reminds me of, you know, it it evokes a memory. So that's what happened with the book. Like, I would start writing a story, and like, oh, wait, that reminds me of this other thing. Oh, wait, that reminds me of this other thing. Oh, wow. And then as you're telling the story. The memory started pouring out through your hands. That's right. And also, as you're telling a story, you know, you know, I said, well, I was playing a wedding on Long Island. It's like, okay, wait a minute. Now I have to explain how that works. How do you come to play a wedding on Long Island? How do you come to play a wedding on Long Island? <laughs> right. So there's, there's like, you know, there are, there are, are, um, offices that send out, they, they, they put together wedding bands. That's what they do. They're called club date offices and they send club out. Club date? I never heard of this. Yeah. They mean like, like country clubs, that kind of thing. Okay. So you're playing these private function bands and they'll put together any nine people, any 10 people that may have never met before, but you know, you've got to play my girl ain't too proud to beg, you know, all the, uh, I want to dance with somebody like, you know, the standard repertoire and you go in and you, 
you know, you meet they the really man They really understand their repertoire yeah. as a journeyman? Yes, really? yes, yes, yes. Is, wow. You know, you're going to play I Will Survive almost every wedding. <laughs> every so you time. Know, oh, bro, no wonder, bro. You, that, that's why you look the way you're like, I'm going to survive, but if I got to keep playing this <laughs> motherfucker. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny, too, because a lot of people say, oh, man, I'm so tired of that song. I'm going like, not me. You know why? I mean, besides the fact that it pays my bills now, but I toured with Gloria Gaynor. Really? I was her bass player for two years, yeah. So What? Oh my god. And and I even conducted her band a couple of times, yeah. So I got I gotta know here, you know. That that song paid my rent, you know. Like I'm I love that song. I love it too then, bro. (laughs) Let me tell you what. What was the most amazing experience you've had thus far in your journey? Oh man, there's so many many good ones. But I I actually detail like the uh, second chapter of the book I think is is talking about a concert that I played in Tokyo, Japan. Uh, oh, you went to Tokyo. Nice. Yeah, all the way to Tokyo, man. Like you're seeing the world on somebody Word. else's dime. This is I, great. I know, man, because apparently you've been to like over 29 countries, kid. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. My my passport is always current because you never know the phone could ring. That passport is full. Like every year, <laughs> even in the current year, he has to get a new one because he travels I, so much. I had to get extra pages a couple of times. Yeah, you have to really? go and send. It. Yes, you send it to the State Department. They 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 tape extra pages into it so that you can. They like, tape the, extra yeah. pages. Get it the looks fuck like out a, of here. Looks like a kid did it in fourth grade, man. It's oh, like it's I'm the most janky thing. <laughs> I love it. It's the most janky thing you've ever seen, and it's like, yeah, there's America's government for you. Put some. Oh, I'm telling you, man, so so professional. <laughs> and this day and age, when everything is on a computer, you still got to stamp that stupid book to get into the country, you know. But I was playing with Sam Moore from Sam and Day, the guy who sang "I'm a Soul Man," "Hold On, I'm Coming," you know, those ones oh, they get from the wow. '60s, right? Uh, I was his wow. conductor. I was his music director, and we were playing uh, the Tokyo Jazz Fest. This is 2009, I think. Tokyo Jazz Fest. Yeah, man. so we're in a we're in a huge theater. There's like 5,000 people in this theater. Ooh. It's being filmed. It's live on national television in Japan. We have a 15 piece wow. band. The place is jumping. The whole place is going boom, boom, boom. And you can feel it. Like the, the band's on fire. Sam is on fire. Godzilla was in the house. I'm man. telling you, man, he was working the room. The Japanese people are typically very reserved. You know, they're not very emotional kind of not people. Not when a, they see you or Wu-Tang. But, <laughs> right. Well, it wasn't me. It was Sam. So Sam is out there working the crowd. These people are crying. They're like openly weeping, wow. you know, listening to him sing soul music. So I knew as we were playing, I said, this concert is big. It's right. Everything is going wow. exactly right. It's connecting with people. It's being filmed. It's being broadcast. You know, like I knew. I knew it was going to be major as we were doing. You could feel it, you know. Wonderful. And that was like one of my one of my peak, peak shows, I think, you know. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Wow. And then right after us, Sly and the Family Stone played right after us, you know. like Oh, man. Yeah. Look, you hear this, people? Do you hear this guy? Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't want to pull out my broom because it's just amazing. I want to keep these names all around. Yeah. It's amazing. Like, I can't believe the journey, bro, that you've had and you used to write this book. I mean, you know, I don't want to keep you too long, but just write about why why the book. What was the necess- necessity for you to kind of share this story? Well, a couple of things. One, because there are so many interesting stories that, that were constantly entertaining my friends and was saying, like, so you got to write this down. So I was getting that sort of, you know, encouragement from people like you got to write this down. That's and right. then two, that, those are real friends. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then two, you know, as a creative 
person, you know, like you want to sort of document your experience. So that's why you would put out albums or CDs or MP3s, or whatever you like, record what you're doing, your skill set. And part of my skill set, like I say, was always was being a writer as a kid. So I said, all right, well, maybe. And I had some friends. I have some friends of mine who are musicians who are also writers. And they put together books. And when you there's something about physically when you hold the book in your hand, like this is a this is a thing that somebody made, you know, like yes. they wrote all these materials. And they, but then they also got it pressed and printed and shipped and the whole thing. So I, I became aware that that was something that I could do physically do it, you know, and especially now through the way Amazon is set up, you know. You can do it. You can absolutely what? publish yes. your own book. So I did it. I, you know, I wanted to have a souvenir on the bookshelf for myself. How long did it take else. you? How long did it take you to write the bad boy? You know? and, and what was the learning curve, you know, to do a book as opposed to writing right, a music right, song right. or learning music? You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it probably it took a few months, I think, to really, you know, sit down like every day and write a couple, write for an hour or something and then come back in another day and write another story. And then over time, it doesn't take that long. You start realizing you start amassing pages like it starts building up it's like the longest journey starts with a single step, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and again, sort of I, I had some confidence thinking that, you know, I know how to write. I know how to write in, in uh in English, I'm okay. So then I gave it to my aunt. My aunt was a copy editor for Time Magazine for 20 oh, years. Oh, right. So Titi's go- Titi is going to oh. be mad honest because she's the, the, the you're, red you're pen. her nephew, and she is going to be like, let me pull out this red pen real quick. Titi brought out the red pen. It came back with so much red ink on it. I was like, oh <laughs> no. I thought I could write in English. But like, that's, nope. the, that's family, though. That's, that's real family. family. That's 